Welcome to ECB Everything College Basketball, cooking it up with Tyler, Josh, and Peyton. Yeah. It's everything college basketball. We're marching on to the madness. Come to full court press, every crazy dunk in the conference and how that team's back up. We're pulling your poles, taking your bows, letting the Burton brothers know. The players you're watching, the teachers you're not with, and who you see in the final four. With them shout outs and weekly pickums, plus those crazy rants from Tyler, Josh, and Peyton. It's ECB, everything college basketball, training three. Man, this podcast has it all. It's ECB, everything college basketball, training three. Yeah, now the moment you've all been waiting for Your host, from the corner It's Josh and Peyton Burton With Tyler Cool Everything College Basketball Podcast Welcome to another edition of Everything College Basketball, episode 54. I'm, of course, Josh Burton. And if you may have noticed by now, most of you have didn't record last week. Um, the last episode I did was episode 53 that dropped on January 21st. It is now a Saturday night, February the 1st, which sounds weird to even say that we're already in February of 2020. I'm, of course, brought to you, as always, by Applied Right Painting and Restoration, hip jail run company. Um, we're getting a little bit closer to springtime. I know it doesn't feel like it. So all your painting and home improvement needs, it'll be about that time that you start getting ready for all that. Don't go anywhere besides Applied Right Painting and Restoration. Hit them up on Facebook. Find JR Rowe, mess, or actually Larry Rowe Jr. now. Send him a message on Facebook. Tell him I sent you from Everything College Basketball. You'll get a little kickback. I'll get a little kickback. Helps everybody. Applied Right Painting and Restoration, the proud sponsor of everything college basketball. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Of course, I'm recording on Saturday night. I'm going to do part of it Saturday and then the other part Super Bowl Sunday tomorrow. So, this, you know, you'll hear me in different tents. That's the reason why I wanted to go ahead and get some thoughts out tonight instead of setting on it and waiting 24 hours. Let's go ahead and get them out right now. The reason being, just came off of the heels of watching Kentucky play down in Auburn. It was the game of the day of the Pickums. It was game day's first ever trip to Auburn. It was the third Saturday in a row Kentucky went to a hostile environment. Two weeks ago, they went to that crazy building in Bud Walton Arena to play Arkansas, left with a win. Last week, part of the big t- or, uh, the SEC Big 12 Challenge, they go to Texas Tech, win in overtime. Crazy building. Again this week. Game day first ever time down on the plains in Auburn. Um, all that factors in, and the Cats play in the third straight Saturday of a crazy building on a road game. And what we're going to talk about here in this opening segment here officiating in college basketball has gotten to the point it's beyond ridiculous. There is, think of a word that's worse than bad. And multiply it by 10. College basketball officiating at the D1 level is horrendous. 
Now, I know people who um, just dislike Kentucky or whatnot, or maybe this is your first time listening, will think, oh, he's making excuses. He's crying. But at the same time, the people who know better will be the first ones to tell you that I caught Kentucky as fast as anybody does. This is across the board. This isn't a Kentucky issue, by the way. This is particular to college basketball as a whole, as the whole landscape of officiating. I know as the last year, the year before last, the emphasis was on freedom of movement, right? They wanted to open the game up more. They wanted more points scored. They wanted, you know, more of an NBA type feel. So there was there was more fouls called, which allowed offenses to score more points because they're worried about a lot of teams not scoring enough points. So in return, defenses now struggle to play defense. Now I know you still have your Texas Techs, your Virginias, your Kansas, your Duke, Kentuckys. All these teams are really good defensively. Florida State. But it's not the same. Tonight's ball game against Auburn, and by the way, Auburn won the game. All credit to Auburn. We'll talk about it. They shot 44 free throws, 49 total fouls called, 29 on Kentucky, 20 on Auburn, 44 free throws from Auburn. Now, had Auburn been the type of team, or at least in this game, to attack the rim and attack the rim and, you know, beat people off the bounce and force you into help where you had to foul, okay, I'm all, you know, it, it is what it is. But the fact is, Auburn shot 23 three-pointers. Six of 23. They didn't spend all their time going to the rim. They shot 23 three-pointers and shot 44 free throws. They shot 51 field goals. Do the quick math here. 51 total field goals. They shot 23 threes. So take 23 away from 51 there. And you've got... they. Shot 28 two-pointers. 28 two-pointers to get 44 free throws. Every time. And and again, Kentucky shot. Let's flip the other side. Kentucky shot 24 free throws. Auburn shot 20 more free throws than the Cats did. They took only two more field goals in Kentucky. Kentucky went 20 of 49 from field goals. Kentucky shot seven less three-pointers. So by that basis, by that basis, the Cats actually attacked the rim more than Auburn did and shot 20 less free throws. How? I'll tell you how. It's because the majority of the time, referees in college basketball now are calling every bump, every little minor trip, every tangle up of the arms, everything is a foul. That's how. Now, that's not to say the Cats definitely fouled, right? Reach-ins, stupid reach-ins, over the backs. But you're calling fouls on just simple bumps. Not every bump deserves to be called a foul. I'm sorry. I am sorry, but that's the way it is. Not every bump deserves to be called a daggone foul. Auburn shot 44 free throws. 49 fouls were called in this game. Do you think that people sitting at home on a Saturday night watching a clash between two top 20 teams and a battle for SEC standings 
and everything that encapsulates around it are the people in that building. I know they're happy Auburn won. But do you think people really want to see the referee stop the game every 12 seconds to call a foul? To make a motion? These refs aren't the stars of the game, but yet consistently, night in and night out, they become the centerpieces. Forget the fact that we have all this talent on the floor most of the games. It's the referees who got to get the shine and got to get the spotlight. And if they're not calling fouls, they're spending four minutes at a time watching replay. It's got to stop. We watch game in and game out. I think also, I'll have to check. I think also tonight, Arkansas Alabama had an SEC clash. 40-some fouls were called in that game. That's absolutely ridiculous. Johnny Stroud from the Facebook group said it was, it's been horrendous. And it, again, it's not, you know, I feel like the SEC, because that's the conference I watch more than anything, I feel like, you know, they're worse. <laughs> the officiating crew in the SEC is worse than any other conference. But it's also, so you watch a Big Ten game, man, especially as physical a conference the Big Ten is, it's foul after foul after foul. You watch the Big East, the ACC, the Big 12, Pac-12. You watch smaller conferences. You know my love for the SOCON. Watch SOCON games. It's the referees. I'm sorry, you're not the show. And I know you have to like keep the game in check, and you can't be letting it be 1980s style of you know basketball or 90s even. But man, you got to let some of that go, right? You know, save it for the legit reach across the arm fouls or or whatever. I used to think it was the block charge call, and I think that's wrong more times than not. But at least that's kind of a bang-bang play, and you're, you know, 50% getting it right. But these silly fouls, man, let them go, some of them. Either let them go or call everything, and we'll have every game where guys, four or five guys, foul out a game. You'll probably have a couple texts a game because, you know, a fish or a coach is getting mad, and the games will be three and a half hours long. Either do that. Let some of this go or call every little tic-tac foul. And then we'll eventually get to a point where teams are going to get tired of it and play zone. That's my rant on the officials. Um, it, it's been bad. It's been bad in college basketball. I'm talking about the Kentucky game, though. Ob- obviously, I mentioned Auburn wins 75-66. I've given you some of the stats. Um, on the Kentucky end, only played eight players. Since we've, you know, I've last recorded, Khalil Whitney decided to transfer out of school so the Cats are only playing with eight men. They've been on a roll. They have really – they've won coming into tonight, I think it was four or five in a row and like seven of the last day. Of course, they lose on the road against a, a good Auburn team. Let's not, let's not mistake it. Good. Um, they lead at halftime 35-34 after Tyrese Maxey hit the three right before the buzzer. And then Auburn outscores them by 10 in the second half, pulls away the last like two and a half, three minutes of the game. Free throws down the stretch, closes the deal. Um, Emmanuel quickly continues his hot run. You know, he led the Cats tonight 23 points. Tyrese Maxey at 22. Even though he makes some dumb decisions sometimes, the guy can score the ball. Um, Ashton Hagen's fouled out. Nick Richards, 7.7 boards. was real quiet tonight. Um, he had a hard time going against Austin Wiley in the post. You know, four fouls. EJ Montgomery had one two-point shot that I actually thought was a three. He got torched tonight by France or uh, Isaac Okoru and Samir Dowdy when he had to switch out and Daniel Purifoy. Those guys from Auburn torched 
um, EJ Montgomery. That's been the that's been the deal with EJ all year. You know, he, he has a hard time moving his feet on the perimeter. He's a little aloof sometimes. Um, off the bench, like I said, Keon Brooks four points. Nate Sestina nothing. Johnny Juzang hits a nice three. The Cats got seven bench points. Not going to get it done, especially on the road. And here's the disappointing stat: more than any of it, Kentucky got out rebounded by 14 rebounds. Auburn had 42. Kentucky had 28 rebounds. Offensive rebounds. This is sickening. Auburn 17. Kentucky six offensive rebounds. Kentucky is normally a team that's doing this to other teams: offensive rebound, throwing off the glass, going to getting it. Auburn was just. They wanted it more tonight. They were at home. They were physical. They were throwing four guys at the glass, sometimes five when Kentucky was only throwing maybe two. Um, they were fighting for it, you know, missed box. Auburn just wanted it more. 17 offensive rebounds. That's That should never happen. And, again, obviously Auburn, Auburn shot 44 free throws. Kentucky shot 24. Um yeah, and Kentucky had 12 turnovers, which isn't terrible, especially on the road. It's not terrible. Some of them were costly, especially late. Auburn only had seven. Auburn did what they needed to do to win, but the free throws were ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. They shot 20 more free throws than Kentucky. Um, and then Kentucky, again, continues. I mean, that's one thing. The Cats are going to help them. It's going to help them in the NCAA tournament. Their free throw shooting ability is the best by far Cal Perry's had. Right, and I'll, you know, probably since maybe his UMass days, I'd have to go back and look at some of his Memphis teams because his teams have never been able to hit free throws. They've always been so athletic, get to the free throw line, but especially when it counts, can't hit free throws. This team shoots free throws extremely well. You know, they're hovering right around like 80% as a team, and they shot 83% tonight, so that's going to help them come tournament. All in all, it's a good Auburn team. They're at home. They're fired up. All the circumstances, I'm still extremely pissed off about the the total number of fouls called. At the end of the day, I think Kentucky's going to be all right, though. Um, it just – refereeing has got to get better. It absolutely has to get better. More consistent across the board. And I, I, I'm speechless at this point, you know. <laughs> I'm speechless. It, it's got to get better. Um, The last couple weeks, let's go ahead and try to wrap up some of the stuff. Not only this past week, but last week, um, a new number one took over. Baylor went to number one, like I thought they should be the last three or four weeks. They end up smashing uh, Florida on the road last week as well. I thought Florida would get them. I predicted that. Baylor is the real deal. They got tested today, though. TCU tested them. They've been tested, but Baylor's the number one team in the land. Number two, Gonzaga has been cruising, but they had a test today, this afternoon. They went to San Francisco in the West Coast Conference. San Francisco had them all the way to the wire, and Gonzaga squeaked one out, one by four points. So the Gonzaga is number two in the land. Um, those two teams are, you know, Baylor and Gonzaga. I'm ready to see Baylor play Kansas again. I think that'll be a fun one, but we'll see. Speaking of Kansas, Kansas was in the news. You know, last week for all the wrong reasons. Earlier last week, they had their uh, first installment of the what is that? Is it a sunflower showdown or whatever it is between them, and Kansas State? They're playing Kansas State um, at home in Allen Fieldhouse, smacking up on them like you figured they would. Kansas State's not good. Kansas is really good, and Kansas is having their way with them late in the game. Silly incident where. 
Kansas State, you know, a kid that just got off the bench basically steals the ball from Kansas, goes down, hits layup, taunts a little bit, but then an all-out brawl ensues, like crazy with Silvio D'Souza because he's the one that came down and made the foul to try to stop the dunk layup. And then like a brawl breaks out, punches being thrown, benches are cleared, and then Silvio D'Souza picks up a chair. <laughs> he picked up a chair. So suspension's handed out to him. He's gone for, I don't know, it's going to be a while. Uh, David McCormack already served his, but just not a good look. Um, I'll have more on that later in the show. Um, former host Tyler Cook, obviously he's a big Kansas fan. He sent in a clip. I'm going to play it for you here later on in the show. He's very disappointed in his Jayhawks and that situation. That's just one you got to let go. It's late in the game, and I get you know, I, I get it. Okay, you maybe you don't like the fact that Kansas State's still on the ball. You know, you're already blowing them out. Just dribble the clock out. But at the same time, even if you don't like it, Sylvia D'Souza, you already went out and made the play defensively. Just let it go, man. Just let it go. Um, like I said, Tyler will have more on that. I'll play a clip later on in the show about his thoughts. I know he's pretty, um, pretty upset with his Jayhawks after that. But Kansas today, though, this Saturday – they, um, oh, who did they play today? I'll go back and find it. I completely spaced it because I got on that big tirade about the about the refereeing. Who did Kansas play today? I was watching them. Oh, they played Texas Tech. That's right. Played Texas Tech. Um, Kansas up at halftime, and Texas Tech, of course, made the make a run, and they had a chance to tie it up at the end, but. You know, Jemias Ramsey, they're down three. He, they need a three because they worked the shot clock too late, or the game clock. Six seconds ago, he tries to attack the rim real quick and doesn't get anything off. Kansas survives, wins by three. That's going to be a two-team race, it looks like, in the Big 12 now because Texas Tech's now 4-4 four and four in conference. Kansas 7-1, Baylor undefeated. It's going to be – actually, I'll say it's a three-team race because I think West Virginia is still alive. I think they got two losses. But it's really, I think, it's going to come down between that final matchup between Baylor and Kansas um, when they return here soon. So we'll see, but Kansas gets a win. Today also, number five, Florida State, continues their hot streak. You know, let's talk about the ACC real quick before I move to the Big East. The ACC, we're so used to them being right there for the best conference or right there you know, with the Big Ten for the best conference in college basketball year in and year out. It's not the case this year. It really is not the case this year with the ACC conference. Um, you know, North Carolina is obviously really, really bad. We didn't expect that. Um, they just today got Cole Anthony back, but they did take the L to Boston College, even though he went for 26 points. You know, there's four teams projecting the NCAA tournament right now in Joe Lenardi's bracketology. Four teams from the ACC. Four from the ACC projected in the NCAA tournament. I mean, we made fun of the Pac-12 last year for being historically bad. Four from the ACC. That's only one more currently than the West Coast Conference is getting. So you got four teams that are, are good, and the rest, mm, you know, obviously... You got Louisville, the best team at conference. You got Duke. You got Florida State. Those three are pretty solid. And uh, who's who's that fourth team? <laughs> I'm forgetting now too. Um, oh, I guess Virginia is. Well, no, they got them on the bubble, don't they? 
they actually have Virginia first four out. So, you know, the four ACC schools. I'm trying to track down who the fourth one is because it's not popping out to me on top of my head. Fourth ACC school. <laughs> this is live. Fourth ACC school. Where in the heck's the other ACC school? Anyways, I can't seem to find it. This is riveting stuff, I know, guys. <laughs> I know. Who's the fourth ACC school? Oh, my good Lord. Oh, North Carolina State, there it is. But they're on the bubble, and they, you know, they've tucked an L this week. And actually, I think they took two. North Carolina actually beat them this past week. Um, that's before Cole Anthony come back. So North Carolina State's going to be off the bubble. So actually, if you want to think about it, ACC's probably got three teams in the tournament as we sit here right now on Saturday night. Three teams from the ACC. ACC's been bad. Bad. Um, conversely, though, the Big Ten – you know, they're all beating each other up, but they had such good non-conference scheduling. The conference is so tough this year. They've got a record 12 teams in the tournament projected right now. 12 teams projected in the NCAA tournament for the for the Big Ten. That's unbelievable. The conference is so deep. Um, some Big Ten, you know, wraparound scores today. Indiana loses again. They lost on the road to a struggling Ohio State. Indiana is now struggling themselves. They can't. I think that's their sixth loss on the year already, sixth or seventh. And um, Indiana just super inconsistent, but I think they're going to find themselves in the tournament. Coming into today, they were an eight seed projected, so they're not going to fall out of the tournament. But that's a good win that Ohio State desperately needed. They were out; they were without DJ Carton as well. Um, it's a good stuff there. You know, you look around also today with the scores. The Big East was just wild. Three top ten teams lose at home. You have Xavier beating um, beating Seton Hall at home. Oh, oh, I guess I should say on the road. They went to Seton Hall and beat them. Seton Hall ranked 10th. Butler losing at home to Providence. And Villanova losing at home to Creighton. Three teams inside the top ten for the Big East. All three lose. Absolute craziness. Also in the top 25 so far today, you have Wichita State losing to Tulsa. Tulsa's leading the American Athletic Conference. We thought coming in it would be a race between Memphis, Houston, and then right slightly below them, Wichita State and Cincinnati. Tulsa was nowhere on the radar, and they're currently leading the conference absolute nuttiness going on in college basketball. It's just like every day we turn around and there's top 25 team loses, top five team loses. Da, da, da. Speaking of the ACC, going back to North Carolina State, um, they also, I mentioned they lost earlier in the week to North Carolina. Today at home, they get blew out by Louisville. Louisville, I think, still one of the best teams in college basketball. They're, uh, they're, they're finding, they're going to put themselves in contention not only when the ACC like we thought, but they're going to be put themselves in contention right now to be a one seed. I firmly believe that. Um, Duke's currently up at halftime on Syracuse. Syracuse, eight losses. They're not the Syracuse of old. How about Dayton? Dayton in the A-10 wins again. They're now 9-0 in conference, 22 overall, number seven team in America. They're going to find themselves creeping around the top five on Monday. Absolute nuttiness right now, college basketball. Another upset that just went final. Stanford's having themselves a gr like a really good year. 70, number 11, Oregon, 60. 
crazy. Wisconsin back to that Big Ten. Wisconsin upsets Michigan State 64-63 at home. And West Michigan State was 14th in America. You know, that Big Ten race is nuts. Speaking of the American Athletic Conference, Cincinnati with a nice win. They knock off 21 Houston, 64-62. Michigan knocks off number 25 Rutgers. And we still have a couple other top 25 teams playing tonight. I actually have Utah State knocking off and giving San Diego State their first loss of the year. But we'll see. San Diego State already put it on them once this year. But I really, you guys still know I like that Utah State team. But this is just college basketball in a nutshell so far, right? I mean, absolute craziness and anarchy going on throughout the college landscape. Don't know really, besides Baylor and Gonzaga, who's really going to be like putting themselves a notch above everybody. I think you have Baylor and Gonzaga, and then that second tier, you would throw like a Duke, a Louisville, um, Florida State, um, Kansas, teams like that in that second tier. I think third tier, even with some losses, I still think Kentucky would go in that third tier. I think you'd still put Michigan State come March. Um, Villanova, I still think West Virginia teams like that in that third tier, but I think that's kind of how the tier systems go. I did. Um, we'll talk about it later on the show too. I released the first ever ECB blind resume. I did on myself, went through the Ken Palm, went through the strength schedules, the RPIs, put two teams that side by side. I thought was interesting. Got some buzz on the Facebook group. Team one was Purdue. They've got 10 losses. Team two was Virginia. They've only got like five losses. But if you look at the resumes, because people didn't know the teams, I had probably 60% people say they would choose team one with a better resume and team two, team one being that 10-loss Purdue team. And that's because Purdue has 10 losses, but they play in the best conference in basketball right now. They have more quality wins, fewer quality losses, even quad ones, quad two, you know, more quad threes, all the right stuff that really matters. And they by far have a tougher strength of schedule. I think those stuff plays a factor come, come March. I don't know if Virginia gets in the tournament. They could legit finish fourth in the ACC. They could finish behind Louisville, Duke, Florida State. You know, fourth in the ACC with like, I don't know, let's say seven losses, eight losses, and not make the NCAA tournament because how weak the ACC is this year and they don't really have that great of a resume. <laughs> That's crazy to think, right? The defending champs finish fourth in the ACC and don't even make the tournament. But I think that's the kind of uh, spot we're in in college basketball right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a break in the action. I'm going to uh, collect my thoughts, gather everything else up, um, calm down from the, <laughs> from the referee deal. And I'm going to take a first pause for a cause. And when we come back, you'll be here listening to more of episode 54 of Everything College Basketball. The Super Bowl edition. See you in a little bit. What's happening, College Hoops fans? It is Conrad Cushman from the Everything Pro Wrestling Podcast. And I'm here to tell you how you can follow Everything Pro Wrestling. First, go to your Facebook Type in the search bar, Everything Pro Wrestling. Look for our official page with over 1,000 likes and make sure you give it a like. Also, we have a closed group with over 200 members in it where you can join discussions and talk about anything and everything pro wrestling. We also have a Twitter handle, and that is at EPW Show. And we have a podcast, and the podcast is available on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And remember, Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans for the fans. Now let's get back to talking some college hoops. Welcome back to episode 54 of Everything College Basketball. Um, More on, you know, I said I was done with my rant, but let's just revisit real quick because I see more and more tweets and comments coming in discussing the officiating, more particularly the Kentucky-Auburn game, to the point where, you know, we have a comment from our very own Johnny Stroud. It's a long-winded comment, so let me – he actually has two comments. He said, I have two comments. First, to your point about refs, because I was watching some live video I was doing. I agree. It's been horrible across the board. They are totally influencing the outcome of, in many games, calling a lot of senseless ticky-tack fouls and inconsistent on the charge block call. Second, now he goes in on his Hoosiers here. Now, IU fans, does he have a point? Does he not? Second, my Hoosiers are the most aggravating team I've ever watched. I truly believe Archie is in way over his head. His refusal to change game plans is maddening. He sticks with the pack line defense and hard hedging, even though our player personnel isn't really fitting for it. He refuses to hold the kids accountable for horrible, sloppy, and lazy play. I'm really losing hope in him and our whole program. Wow. Scathing stuff from Hoosier. Mr. Johnny Stroud, what do you guys think about that? Um... I can see the frustration, though, honestly, if you're talking, if you're just an IU fan, you're longing, you've got plenty of talent, you see it, you know, in spurts, you know, beating, you know, Florida State and Michigan State and Ohio State at home and beating UConn on the road with toughness, um, stuff like that, but then you have games where, just like today, at Ohio State in the return, you you just don't show up. I'm um, going down to the Big Ten standings. I get it; they're playing in the toughest conference. But as an IU fan, you want to be where you want to be again among the the likes of Kentucky and Duke, Louisville again, um, Kansas, North Carolina. Even though North Carolina's having a bad year, it's like a rarity. Um, the Michigan State. You want to be at the top of that elite heap. That's where you want to be at. You don't want to be floundering five and six in conference. I know as an IU fan, you're tired of be like, I know we play in the or the Big Ten and it's tough, but we don't want to be at the bottom. You, you look at a team like Rutgers, who's you know a game and a half now out of the Big Ten, who's at seven and four. Rutgers has no basketball tradition really, and they're seven and four. Penn State six and four. What really should piss you off is one of your biggest rivals, Illinois, who's been pretty dormant the last decade or so. You know, I think they made the tournament a time or two along the way, but followed by that would be three or four years of losing. They're leading the conference and they're on a seven-game win streak. They're eight and two in the conference, leading the Big Ten. If you go back last year, the year before, and the year before that, Illinois was towards the bottom four. And that's your one of your big rivals. If you're Indiana, in Indiana, and let me spit up. Indiana has 
deeper talent than Illinois. Illinois just has a superstar in Ayo Donsuma, a good backcourt running mate in Trent Frazier, and some good solid big men in Kofi Cockburn and uh, Georgie Bezla-Shavili, and people who can play their role, and that Illinois is back to being a really fun team. You know, but if you're in Indiana, you don't want to be middle of the road anymore. You want to be part of the elite squad. And I think that's fair to say. And, you know, you sat through it with Crean where you had your uh, obviously really highs. You win, a, you win two Big Ten titles under him. But then when you get to the tournament, you make uh, two Sweet 16s, right? Three Sweet 16s. Because you, you win the Big Ten title twice, three Sweet 16s, and the other ones were whatever. Indiana hasn't made a Final Four since they went to the National Championship game in 2002. You know, they haven't been number one in the nation since 2013. Indiana wants to be back among the elite, the elite of the elite. They want to be like it was in the 70s and the 80s and the, for the most part, the 90s. You don't always have to. You want to be like, and I know it's going to make, I know it's going to make a lot of Indiana fans mad. So I'm, I'm bracing for it. But you want to be where Kentucky's been, where Kentucky's at. Well, we can lose, but at the end of the day, whether you have no losses or you have one loss or you limp your way in the tournament with nine losses, you always know in the back of your mind you have enough talent and you can make a run to get to the Final Four. That's where Indiana wants to be again. So just you know, the rail and Archie like that. I think it's fair because he's been there a while now, and um, it's time he starts producing. I, I really do. I think it's time he starts producing. Um, also on officiating, Dan Dockage. Obviously, he's no fan of the cats, but Dan Dockage says he tweeted out not too long ago that the worst officiating of the year by far happened at the Auburn Kentucky game. Kentucky got hosed and completely taken out of the game by officiating. That's his words, not mine, but it's hard to disagree with him. Now, again, Kentucky, you know, the officials didn't cause Kentucky to give up 17 offensive rebounds and, you know, all that. But even so, you know, 44 free throws from Auburn, you know, it is what it is, I guess. But even Dan Dockage is chiming in. So that's how bad it, it was in this game in particular. But really, college basketball as a whole. Even going back last week, Mike Bray from Notre Dame got fined. He he openly, because the NCAA discourages you from talking to the, about the officials. I think that's another problem. Going back in on officiating again. Mike Bray, Notre Dame went down to top five team Florida State last week and played their ass off, and Florida State was able to come out with a win, but officiating was atrocious in that. It really hurt Notre Dame, especially down the stretch with some of those ticky-tack BS foul calls. And Mike Bray was just, he called them out after the game, how bad it was. Of course, he gets fined like ten grand for it or whatever it was. And I think that's part of the problem, too. Officiating, officials do not have to sit at a podium after the game and be questioned like, players do like coaches do every game you have players from each team that get interviewed and questioned about why they did something why they didn't do something coaches get questioned all the time but officials are allowed to make dumb ass calls over and over and over and nobody can say anything they don't get questioned by reporters after the game they don't get um you're not allowed to talk about them there's no sense of accountability against refereeing 
Could you imagine if all of a sudden they said, okay, you're allowed to criticize the officials. Yeah, you can't go overboard, but you're allowed to criticize them. Or could you imagine if officials had to own up for their actions? If they had to, after every game, even if it was five minutes, stand in front of the media and answer questions about why they called something, why they didn't, I guarantee you officiating would change in an instant. But there's no accountability, so when there's no accountability, you don't expect change. The basketball world and life in general. I meant to start the show off with this, but we'll get to it now. Last Sunday, the entire world, not just basketball, the sporting world, but the entire world was rocked. Um, News came out. I was actually on lunch break, and it came out by our sponsor, JRO, messaged me and said, Kobe Bryant died. I said, excuse my language, said, you're fucking with me. He said, no, I'm serious. He said, died in helicopter crash. I said, there's no way. I haven't heard nothing. I get on Twitter, and I start to see some stuff rumbling in from TMZ. I'm like, ah, okay. And then more and more things came out. And uh, it was just like time stood still. It was like time stood still. Um, and I know people die all the time. And personally, none of us knew Kobe. You know, that are listening, or at least 99% of us knew him on a personal level. But we watched him grow up in front of our eyes for the most of us as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid to become an NBA superstar, an NBA legend, legend of basketball in general, uh, a dad, um, everything, a mentor. And then it got worse when you find out you know, there's more people, and um, his 13-year-old kid got killed, her, Gigi, and a couple, or I think at least one of her teammates, also 13. All in total, I think they said nine people died in the helicopter crash. And um, I just wanted to kind of talk about that because it still got me, like, got me shook because, um, again, I was never really a huge Kobe fan growing up. But the older I got, and as he got older – I really appreciated his game and became a fan. Um, younger Kobe, we'll say eight Kobe, I wasn't a fan. But that's because my mindset on the game was a lot different. And I wasn't viewing it as from um, a, a certain perspective as I would as I got older, and especially I got into coaching. And then Kobe became like a rarity in a world full of, of um, guys who just wanted to get their stats or just satisfied with being a certain level. Kobe was never satisfied. Yeah, he was, you can say he was selfish a lot. Um, the, the guy who put up numbers, but he wanted to win. He's the ultimate competitor. He he was a throwback to when I was coming up and the people I liked. And uh, he's the closest thing Michael Jordan will ever have. He was the closest thing that Michael Jordan will ever have. Um, that certain mentality, especially when it's late, whether he makes or misses it, he's wanting that shot because he believes in himself. And uh, he wanted that. He wanted to make that play. And people, just like Michael, people forget how good of a defender Kobe was. And then the older he got, he had to adapt his game around certain. He couldn't fly at the rim like he used to, but he, so he started to learn post moves and adding different stuff. And if he had to, hurts his right hand, he hits a fadeaway left-hand jump shot over Quincy Pondexter. Um, 
but then you you see him as a dad and it changes everything and uh his daughter it, it just sucks too it sucks for the kobe and the pilots and the adults but it sucks for kobe's daughter and uh, her teammate who at 13 had a whole life ahead of them they had a whole life ahead of them and um to be gone before that even really got going you know they're on their way to a tournament too they're on their way to the Mamba Academy, I think is where it was, to play in a tournament. And um, it, it just it sucks. And obviously you see the whole basketball world and, and sporting world um, come together over this. Kobe was 41. His daughter was 13. Like I said, they're pilots. There was another 13-year-old. There was parents and stuff. There was some. There was some good that that came out of this. And I don't mean that. Please don't take my words. I mean like, oh, he said that he's glad Kobe and everybody died. I don't know. God no. What I mean is, if you watch the past week or so since his passing, since all their passings, you've seen people come together in a way we haven't seen since. I don't know. Um, I would want to say post 9-11, but that was a lot more. But, you know, you kind of get where I'm coming from, right? Black and white and Asian and Hispanic and gay, straight, you know, any anybody came together over this morning. I, I know at my job, I talked to so many different people, young, old, white, black, and we all bonded over, like, the Kobe and, like, how crazy it is and, um, you saw different sporting work because Kobe loved different sports. Um, he, he was like me. He, Kobe obviously lived in um, Italy through, as a young child because his dad played over there, moved throughout, and grew a, a healthy love for AC Milan, the football club. I love AC Milan. Kobe was one of us. Um, he was a Rossoneri, a Rossoneri. Um, he loved the red and black. And uh, AC Milan actually gave, you know did a tribute before our match on, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, versus Torino in a very important cup match, did a nice little tribute, had his jersey laying out in the 24, the red and black. And um, you see that all across. He loved it. FC Barcelona. They've done something. Um, Neymar, like people across other sporting ventures, tributes. You've seen the, the you know, love him or hate him. You've seen the, the beautiful tribute LeBron said about him last night when the Lakers finally came back to Staples Center to play. Uh Kobe's mark just on life in general will be felt for a long time. His mark as a basketball player. I know he didn't play college ball, but he still loved the game. He was a big proponent, especially on the women's side, because of this girl coming up and really got involved with that. Um, but I know he never suited up. And there's those rumors, had he went to college, he would have probably went to Duke. But he loved the college game. He loved the athletes. He um, and people emulated him and looked up to him. And um, just for basketball, not just college basketball, just for basketball though, Kobe is one of those guys that left a mark that's going to last until the end of time. Um, so this whole show, you know, and a lot of people are doing stuff. This whole show is to those people who died in the helicopter to Kobe to Gigi and all them. Um, and it really sucks about her because she had his talent. She really did. You look at them, them, um, them videos, man, her hitting fadeaways and just the mob mentality. Right. And, um, being a good teammate and making the right play and always playing hard and playing the game the right way and working hard. And, um, 
just enjoying the game of basketball. So for all that, you know, Kobe and uh, everybody is, you know, going to be missed. So, um, yeah, that, that sucked. That really sucked. Uh, just like one of those deals. Like I wasn't around when like John Lennon or somebody like that died. And, um, but it seemed like time stood still and it still does. Um, basketball universe lost a huge, huge icon in our, in our genre and our sport. And I know like, again, like Kentucky's been, uh, warm ups and shoes and stuff of Kobe's and other teams are doing it. And, um, it's a good deal, right? You know, you can uh, you can celebrate Kobe and you can appreciate him because he was genuinely genuinely was a, it seems like a good dude. Uh, you, more stuff are coming out about him about doing make a wishes and stuff. So whether you liked him as a career or not, what the mark he left on the R game, the game of basketball, the love he had, how he respected the sport, not just played it hard, not was just an icon, not. You know, I seemingly never took his stardom for granted, but how hard and how how hard he worked and how much he respected the game, something I try to tell younger kids. You don't just if you especially if you want to be good, you don't just play when you feel like it or when it's time and you don't just play games. You respect the court. You don't that includes don't come in on the court wearing shoes from outside with rocks in them and scratch the court up. You don't um think you're above the game because it'll humble you. You don't, you know, you just do everything hard in the right way. And that's what to me, Kobe was about, especially more stuff comes out about him. And um, so, yeah, it sucked. That sucked a lot, but um, I wanted to get that out of the way. Um, I'm going to take one, another pause for a cause after that. Cause I don't really know how I follow it. When we come back, we're going to talk more college troops before we do guys. Last week was a Royal rumble. Um, obviously another great experience. There's only one spot to go if you want to all your post Royal Rumble coverage and uh, leading up to the next big show for WWE, NWA, AEW, New Japan, and all this stuff. Go to Conrad Cushman, Everything Pro Wrestling. They um they're the real deal, man, and they've been with us from the from the word go. Can't thank Conrad them enough. I'm going to have him back on the show soon. I'm trying to set something up with him. So Everything Pro Wrestling, our sister site, go show them some love now. When I come back, we're going to talk more college hoops. Um, got a lot of interesting blind resumes and all the fun stuff coming up. Kobe, we'll miss you, and uh, thank you for everything you did. You're listening to episode 54 of Everything College Basketball. You're listening to Everything College Basketball Podcast. Go ECB! Go ECB! Hey guys, this is Tyler Cook. Uh, Josh asked me to kind of give an insight on my opinion on the Kansas-Kansas State altercation that took place on Tuesday night. 
Uh, the reasoning why, basically, he asks is because, for the ones of you that don't know, uh, I am a huge Kansas fan. With that being said, I try my best to never give a biased opinion. So that's that's one of the reasons why he asked too, because I'm pretty straightforward regardless of the situation uh, based on my team, regardless of what's going on. Uh, first of all, I just want to touch on what happened if you guys have been living under a rock. Kansas was up 21 points. They go and try and dribble the clock out. No shot clock, so they're just going to try and dribble the ball out. Like 99.9% of any team that's up 15-plus does. The defense just does whatever. They're usually shaking hands with the other players by this time. you know. And then as the clock buzzes, they go to their, their lines, walk through the handshake line, and call it a night. You know, this is a rivalry game. There was during the whole game I didn't see anything chippy. I didn't see anybody getting getting fired up with each other. There was no pushing, no shoving. It was a very clean played game. Kansas dominated from front to back, but then it just took one second. One second to change the whole outlook of a of a season. Not just not just a game, not just a rivalry, the whole outlook of a season for both Kansas and Kansas State. That everybody can say things like, well, he shouldn't have stole the ball. Well, you know, it's an unwritten rule. You know, you kind of just let it happen. And for people that want to go and say that he he should do it, play to the end of the buzzer, you just haven't played organized basketball or you just don't you just don't watch enough or understand enough the reason why you don't do that. With that being said as well, they Sosa going down and blocking the kid for him doing that. You know, that's great. Whatever, you feel disrespected, you got your revenge on it. What should not have happened was the hovering over, the jaw jacking, and especially the punch being thrown. Everything, all the fault lays on this young man's shoulders. No one at Kansas State's fault for initiating. No one on the bench for initiating. It was solely Silvio De Sousa's fault at the moment, regardless of whatever camera angle you saw, whatever you wanted to talk about. It was his fault. I've been I've been diving into this way too much. You know, I've been going to fan pages from Kansas, fan pages from Kansas State, and you pretty much can tell what each side says. They're very biased. Oh, it was Kansas State's fault. Oh, it was Kansas's fault. It was Kansas's fault. And it was just this young man's fault. And then everyone else piling in. David McCormick, I believe, should have got at least five games. And I believe that Marcus Garrett should have at least picked up a couple. But those were the only two that got suspensions. Silvio De Sosa, I think, should be moved from the be removed from the program. You know, he's had opportunity after opportunity. I'll touch on that here in just a second. There was another young man from uh, Kansas State that I thought should have got removed. I can't recall his name right now. But I know three definites from each team and at least a fourth that I thought should have got suspensions. I think Bill should come in and do the right thing with Silvio and just, just remove him from the team because he's been a distraction. He's a phenomenal talent. And he, he's playing behind two great guys that are taken away from what he can really do what people can see, but that is not that does not matter. What he's done now is an unexcusable accident not an accident, unexcusable action. That he just he just needs to be removed 
from the situation. Nothing else is going to good, good come from this. It's going to get provoked every time he goes somewhere else trying to see if it happens again. I've watched interview after interview, tape after tape, and one that stuck out to me the most was Jason Williams. A lot of points I agree with him, but there's one that I really, really don't. You know, everybody gets excited whenever hockey fights. Everyone does. It doesn't really matter in baseball when they fight, you know. Coaches going up in the umpire's face, screaming and cussing and picking plates up and throwing it and belly bouncing them. They just get ejected from the game. But when it comes to basketball, it's it's blown out of proportion. This one warranted, yes. This one warranted. Chairs being picked up, absolutely. But it's it's okay in some sports, but not this one. You know, I, I agree with Jason's point on that. The one that I really don't, because this is a special situation, not special in a good way, but uh, he talks about forgiveness. Talk about these being young men. They're trying to learn their way. If it was anybody else on the team and they did not pick up a chair and they just threw a punch, I could see leniency. I could see, hey, you're going to set 10 games. You're going to learn from your mistake and you're coming back as a better man. But with Silvio De Sosa, he came in as a freshman Halfway through, started in January, played by eight games. Then he got in, uh, in trouble with the NCAA about taking money. He set out all last year. He got his appeal to play. He returned to campus, ready to play. And then he does this. So not only are you under the radar already, you just made that bullseye that much bigger. And playing at a, at a school like Kansas, you've already got one, regardless Regardless, you're playing at a blue blood school, one of the most historic programs of all time, and you want to do something like this. It's just not the look and the feel that a team like that needs. You know, I, I, I think back and I think of the Xavier and Cincinnati fight, and that's been a long time. And every time I see that, that matchup, I kind of tune in to see if it happens again. And that's that's not why that's not why you want why you want views. You want views because you want it to be a good game, or because it's a rivalry, or something of the nature in a positive manner. They got a number one recruit or something of the nature. You don't want to tune in to two teams playing because you think they might throw down. Now, with that being said, I I mentioned in one of the comments that I've only seen this really play out twice, and the seventeen years that I've watched Kansas. The other time, how quickly people forget, it happened earlier in the year. Non-conference schedule, playing a smaller school, up 25, dribbling the clock out. The young man goes down, gets the layup, and starts screaming and barking in a Kansas player's face for dribbling the clock out. Now, this is not an excuse. This is not a reason, but I, this is probably the reason why DeSosa chased him down to block him because of this happening earlier. It got some publicity on on ESPN. It got some of this. No excuse. It's not a reasoning as to why. So if you're listening to this, like, oh, yeah, bullshit, Tyler. That's why you think it. Absolutely not. I am just saying this is probably a thought in the back of his head. Oh, no, not again. What he did was the block should have been it. You done embarrassed him on the court. You really embarrassed him with that clean block. And then this happens. I don't know what else to to say on the subject other than 
I think Bill should step in and 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 just remove the young man from the program. I don't I don't think I went I went a little over the top because I was a little emotional talking about taking him off the campus. I believe education is first and foremost with any student. You know, I, the the one and done thing kind of kind of drives me nuts, but that's not part of the situation here. I believe that he still deserves to better himself with an education, but the privilege of playing for the University of Kansas, Kansas University, should be revoked. He should not be a practice player. He should not be able to red shirt. He should just be removed from the team. And I don't believe he should be able to play collegiate basketball this year or the next. That's just my opinion. He's had he's his second strike, and I, I I think this this last one was more than enough to count for the third. You know, you do stuff like this, it's you gotta live with repercussions. Another thing Jay Jay Will was talking about, he was saying uh people were getting too harsh on him because they don't understand what it's like to be in a fight. They don't understand what it's like to be jumped. Unfortunately, I've had to do both. And in both situations, my hands took off, not my feet. And in both situations, I had to live with the punishments. Once I was in high school, I had a lot of running to do. A lot. Once I was in my adult life, I had a lot of probation to do. Lost out on a lot of good job opportunities because I tarnished my record for seven years before I can get it expunged. So I understand the repercussions of doing something you're not supposed to do, living with those consequences, and learning from your mistake. But with that being said, my job was taken away. This is his job as a young man right now playing for the university or for Kansas University. That's his job. So that needs to be revoked. He needs to be able to finish his education in either here or anywhere else. That's that's something that should be given to any any young person. It's a way to better your life in a, in one way, but like I said, the privilege of playing basketball is not a right. You earn it and it can be taken away. And in this position, I believe wholeheartedly it should be taken away. So with that being said, guys, I, uh, I appreciate your time. I know it's been a little bit of a longer longer talk, but uh, appreciate your attention. I'm sure Josh has got some stuff to talk about on the t- topic as well. But uh, thanks for listening. I like to pop in every once in a while with these. It's, it's, it's nice to do. I'm sure Josh has got some more information on what's happened throughout the week that's kind of been overshadowed by this incident. So keep listening. Keep tuning in, guys. Everything College Basketball Podcast continues. Welcome back to episode 54 of the Everything College Basketball Podcast. And if you remember earlier in the show, I said that I was recording on Saturday night directly after that Kentucky game, went on the rant about officials. We are now on Tuesday, February the 4th. Um, I'm recording the second part of this now. Uh, originally, I was going to do it after the Super Bowl, but, you know, things happen. You watch the Super Bowl, then you get busy, work, um, so... Yeah, we're a couple days apart. My feelings are still the same on the officials. Uh, the more stuff's come out, like I talked about Saturday night, or the first part of this show, should I say, Dan Dockage and all sorts of people going in on the officials, even veteran official retiree that you know officiated 
multiple Final Fours, elite official for three or four decades, John Adams tweeted out just how bad the officiating, specifically in that Kentucky-Auburn game, was. He says in a game of that magnitude, the biggest game in the conference to date for the season, you need veteran officiating crew, not younger guys. Um, officiating's bad across the board, like we talked about. That game was kind of the peak of it so far this season, but you go watch a Big Ten game. Um, I know my Indiana friends holler the same thing. You watch North Carolina. You watch it, just any game you tune into, the majority of the time the officiating is going to be pretty bad. It's going to be pretty shoddy. That's got to get better. It's setting the game back. I don't care. Um, we can lower shot clocks. We can do what we need to to freedom of movement. We can put the three-point line back. You can do everything. But it won't matter if officiating doesn't get better. You know, so you're taking players out of the game that because of touch fouls and you're overstepping your bounds, giving coaches technicals just to show off. And it's got to be better. And we even talk about last week, you guys probably seen the clip by now. The Tennessee was playing um, off the top of my head. I can't remember who their players, a conference game. Rick Barnes was yelling at the officials. He didn't move. And this official walks right into Rick Barnes, who wasn't even looking at him, bumps into him. Rick turns around, and the ref yells at Rick, like, to calm down. Like, it's blatant that the referee walked right into him. Rick Barnes got in trouble for not even doing anything. The referee bumped into him. So, fish hitting's got to get better. Um, if not, it's going to cost a lot of teams, especially you'd hate to see a team get screwed out of a game when it really matters in March, whether it be a conference tournament or the NCAAs because officiating, you know, or uh, like three blind mice, should we say, or an official wants to try to show up a, a re or a coach or, you know, they're not the stars, basically. They need to just get, make the right call and go on. Stop ruining the game. Uh, but since we are here on Tuesday, I mentioned Super Bowl, you know, Kansas City Chiefs, nice little comeback in the fourth quarter to uh, knock off San Francisco to get them uh, their first Super Bowl in 50 years. Good on San Francisco. It was a fun Super Bowl. Um, so good on San Francisco. All right, sorry, Kansas City. But we're back to college basketball. Uh, you know, last night being Big Monday, Baylor survives again. They go on the road. A, the worst team in the conference in the Big 12, Kansas State, survived playing at the Octagon of Doom and were able to solidify again their number one ranking. Good on Baylor. Um, yeah, it's going to come down between them and Kansas in the conference. It'll be fun. Um, I know they got Kansas in the first matchup. We'll see if Kansas can get the, the return game back on them. But it, it's setting up that Baylor team is legit. We've talked about them all year so far. You know, that defense, the link, they've got playmakers. Every game it's somebody new, whether it be Teague or whether somebody else on that team stepping up. Baylor's got so many weapons. And, of course, that defense is carrying them. Baylor is the real, the real deal. Um, looking at, let's go ahead and, I talked about the number one team. Let's look at the newest, uh, the newest top 25. The top four remain the same in the AP poll. Baylor, Gonzaga, Kansas, San Diego State. Fifth is Louisville. Sixth, Dayton. Seven, Duke. Eight, Florida State. Nine, Maryland. Ten, Villanova. Two, Villanova dropped two spots. Florida State dropped three spots in the polls. Um, just looking at the top ten, you know, I, I'm okay with, 
I I know San Diego State's you got to give them the respect. They're twenty three and zero, the last remaining undefeated. But if we're just talking about the best teams, I'm putting Louisville ahead of them. I'm actually putting Louisville slightly ahead of Kansas right now. I think they're both that good, but I'm putting Louisville slightly ahead. Um, yeah, I you know Dayton at the beginning of the year we knew Dayton would be good, but did you know that they'd be this good? Obi Toppin's going to be right there. He's in that top twenty. The wooden watch list just came out the top 20 players for that award, which is a player of the year award. Obi Toppin's on there. Versatile big man at what? Six, nine, six, 10. We've seen what he did out in Maui. We've seen continually throughout the year. He's a walking 20 and 10 guy. Um, some nights he could be 30 and 15 if he wants to. Dayton is a handful because of him. They play defense. He's got pieces around him. Again, they've been tested in Maui. Um, they continually that the Atlantic 10 is a good conference. It always has been. It's I think it's a little down this year um, as far as more quality goes. VCU is obviously pretty good. Um, Rhode Island's not as good as they have been. But regardless, Dayton's doing what they have to do. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me at this rating or at this uh, pace, they're going to be a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament which is absolutely crazy. But good on Anthony Grant and Dayton Flyers. They're six. Um, Maryland jumps six spots. You know, they're back up to nine. They're they're a team we knew all year that they're going to be good. They've got four losses on the year. They, it's like they win three and then they lose one. And they'll win five and lose one is kind of how it's been. They jump six spots back into the top ten. That's just how they're going to be all year. The biggest faller inside the top 25, I'm not going to read the whole top 25, but dropping Kentucky obviously with the loss to Auburn drops to 15th they dropped two spots Auburn jumps six spots that ties for the biggest jump of the week uh, Auburn up six Maryland up six Maryland's ninth Auburn 11 the biggest faller of the of the week as far as staying inside top 25 you've got two teams that fell four spots Colorado fell from 20th to 24th and Houston with their loss to Cincinnati fell from 21st to 25th both and still inside top 25 how about Creighton jump inside from unranked to the 21st with their huge win over Villanova over the weekend um Texas Tech filed top 25 uh Marquette's getting votes Ohio State how about Tulsa Tulsa hit that game winner against um uh, Wichita State earlier in the week. Tulsa's kind of hanging in there, you know. So good stuff all around. Um, the only two that fell out of the top 25 were Wichita State and Rutgers. You know, Rutgers gets in and then they fall out and they get in, they fall out. But Rutgers still having a hell of a year. Um, looking at some games, obviously, like I said, it's Tuesday right now. We got Super Tuesday going on. The Cats bounce back tonight at home against Mississippi State, a very disappointing Mississippi State team. Uh, we knew, that, you know, obviously, the last couple of years under Ben Howell, and they've been pretty good with Quindary Witherspoon and guys like that. They're fourteen and seven right now. Their front court is going to challenge Kentucky. They will play them um, extremely tough. It's going to be another one of these games where you have to come ready to battle. And I guarantee you they watched the Auburn game where Auburn's front court and their guards even out-rebounded the Cats, especially in the offensive glass, 17-1 to one or 2 or whatever it was. So you guarantee that Mississippi State's going to come in, and they've got arguably right there with the, the SEC Player of the Year, um, Reggie Perry. He's a walking – he's another guy that's – he could go tonight in Rupp Arena for 25 points and 13 rebounds. That's the kind of kid he is. Um, he's a he's hovering right around the lottery pick in the NBA draft. He's a super talent. So Kentucky better be ready. That means Nick Richards has to stay out of foul trouble. 
He didn't really have the best game against Auburn. He wasn't involved that much. He needs to get back to playing that, that same kind of basketball we've seen from junior Nick Richards the last month and a half, really since that Louisville game. And if he does that, then Kentucky's fine. Kenny Payne came out this a uh, couple days ago and said that Kentucky needs better play from Nate Sestina if we're going to go as deep as we need to be. Nate's been up and down. Obviously can shoot the basketball. Obviously he's got a lot of experience from Buck now. He came in to be that Reed Travis role, that experienced grad transfer that can get you rebounds. He's not as athletic. When he goes against that more athletic big man, he struggles. It's hard to move his feet, especially if he has to step out on a hedge or switch on a ball screen. We've seen it all year. He gets beat off the dribble. But but Nate can score the ball in the block, score from the pick and pop or a trail three. He's got good-looking form on him, hits free throws well, great leader. We need Nate Sestina to play better, and I fully agree with uh, assistant coach Kenny Payne. I think the Cats, they are favored right now by six and a half points. I think they cover that. I think they win by 10, but I do think for about 30 minutes there that Mississippi State wouldn't surprise me if they even lead this ballgame because it's a late tip. It's a 9 o'clock tip. I hate these late games, but it is what it is. I do like Kentucky to bounce back in this one. Duke plays at Boston College. I don't see a problem there. Duke's playing a lot better right now. Um, Maryland, we just talked about them. They get Rutgers. Rutgers just fouled top 25. They've been very, very good at home, but on the road, they've struggled. That's why I go Maryland here. Um, Auburn. Auburn, now, after coming off of a big, big win against the Cats at home, tonight, they at 7 p.m., they go to that Bud Walton Arena. We've seen a few weeks ago how crazy that was for Kentucky. Don't think it's going to be that wild, but I do expect it to be packed. Arkansas is favored by a point. I actually like the Razorbacks in this game. I think Isaiah Joe, we talked about him coming in. You know, he shot like 44% from three last year. He's still shooting around like 45, 50% from three this year, scoring 20 points a game almost for the Razorbacks. Their style of play, they are very physical, especially at home. They get up and down. They shoot the ball well. I like Arkansas here in this win. They put them at. Five and four in conference, seventeen and five overall. I think Arkansas is a solid tournament team, and uh, Auburn's going to have their hands full. I like the Razorbacks in this game. Another top twenty-five matchup tonight inside the Big Ten. You got number twenty-two Penn State, the one of the biggest surprises in America this year, at number sixteen Michigan State. Sparty's eight and a half favorite at home. Uh, obviously, Cassius Winston. We've been over this a million times. Michigan State is who we think they are right now. Um, I like Michigan State, but Penn State, Lamar Stevens, I think keep it close for the most part, but State finds a way at home and uh, makes that Big Ten race even all the more wild. (laughs) That Big Ten race is just nutty. Um, Tomorrow on Wednesday, the February 5th, Villanova-Butler and their return match. This time it's in Butler. Butler desperately needs a win. After starting off and getting ranked top five in the nation, they've now dropped, I think, five of their last seven to put them 17 and five overall five and four in the big east they desperately need a win to keep pace with villanova and company who's seven and two in the big east butler's five and four i like butler to steal one from villanova you guys know how the last month especially after they beat kansas and a little bit before that i i like this villanova team i think they're starting to turn it on but i think butler because they their backs against the wall i think they desperately need a win butler wins that matchup Here's a team. They were part of my um, my first ECB blind resume between them and Virginia, and I was putting it out there. Purdue's twelve and ten overall, five and six in the Big Ten, but still 
in the bracketology from Joe Lenardi considered a team on the bubble that's in the tournament. That's how deep the Big Ten is. Tomorrow night, they host number 17, Iowa Hawkeyes. Iowa's been one of the bigger surprises this year. Fran McCaffrey's done a tremendous job, and Luke Garza's one of the player of the year, like the national player of the year candidates. The, the guy's been putting up numbers. But Purdue's such an enigma. These games like this, like the Iowa's, the Michigan State's, the Michigan's, whoever, Illinois, they win or find a way to win. But it's the games that they're expected to win, they lose. I think Purdue pulls the upset here, keeps that their tournament hopes alive, puts them back at 500 in the Big Ten. I like Purdue winning that game. Nothing else really of consequence on Wednesday night. Um, rest of the week, kind of scrolling through, nothing. I mean, Gonzaga plays a little Marymount. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. Now, here's a good one Friday night. The Big Ten, since they've moved the last couple years to having games on Friday night, especially conference play and how good the Big Ten is this year, every Friday night's must-see TV if you get a chance. This Friday night, you've got number nine Maryland going to number 20 Illinois. Illinois is towards the top of the conference. I know they're coming off of a loss, but... I like the line I hear. If you remember, go back preseason when me and Tyler and Peyton debated back when they were still doing this show. We debated about where we slot teams inside the Big Ten. I had Illinois top four. I had Illinois top four. I love A.U. Donsuma. I love the backcourt of him and Trent Frazier. We've been over this. Maryland has, now I'm not going to say struggled because they've had some good road wins. They've went to Indiana and stole one from the Hoosiers. They've got some good road wins. But I like Illinois, especially at home. This is a very talented team. I love the matchup of uh, Anthony Cowan Jr. versus Ayo Donsuma. I think that's going to be a huge key of who gets off first. I like Illinois winning this, but Friday night, number nine Maryland at number 20 Illinois. you got to pay attention to that one. That'll be fun. Um, Saturday games, we'll talk more about those later on. you got massive ones. SEC leader and undefeated in the conference right now. LSU, number 18, going into number 11, Auburn. We know what kind of um, environment that's going to be. We'll find out a lot about this LSU team, who's very, very good. We knew that they would bring back a lot this year. And then adding a five-star kid like Trendon Wofford, you know, Javante Smart, that whole, that whole team, that system, whether you like it or don't, with what Will Wade, whether you think you should be coach or not because of the scandals, just on the floor product and him as a coach, tremendous. The LSU team obviously won the conference last year in the SEC. And they had Nas Reed and they had all these pieces. They were like eight or nine deep. They beat you up on the backboard. Athletic, could shoot the ball, et cetera, et cetera. With Tremont Waters, or Tremont Waters, you know. LSU shouldn't be this good. We thought that they could still be tournament good. We thought they could be top 25. And I know they're only 18th. But the turnaround they've had with the expectation level, it's unbelievable. They're undefeated in the SEC right now. And I know you SEC haters or whatever, but, oh, the conference, but there's some quality teams. You still don't think Florida's still not dangerous? I know they've underperformed and all that. But you're telling me Florida's still not dangerous? You look at the SEC. Let's just go to the standings real quick. You know, because we're talking about that Saturday night. LSU is going into Auburn. That's going to be one hell of a game. And it's going to say a lot about the conference because if LSU can take away a W and run their conference record, I, it would be 10-0 because they still have to play once this week. I, 
I forget who they play. I had to double check that. But if they go ten and zero, and that would put at least at least Auburn three games back in the conference. And if Kentucky was to lose one more this week, say they lose tonight against Mississippi State, three games back, the, the conference race is almost over. Now I know LSU has still played Kentucky twice. They've still got to play Florida. I think twice. You know, there's a lot to happen because SEC plays 18 games now, or 18, no, 16, 16 or 18. I can't remember. I think it's 18. Regardless, I know it'd be early to say it's over, but man, you give LSU, especially a team like this, a three game advantage, it's hard to say it's not over. But you look at the SEC conference right now. LSU is 8-0 leading the conference. Auburn and Kentucky is both 6-2. Mississippi State, Florida, South Carolina, 5-3. Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee, Texas A&M, 4-4. Missouri, Georgia, 2-6. Ole Miss, 1-7. Vanderbilt, 0-8. You look at the SEC conference, though. Just on pure talent. For, I mean, I know the records, you know, they are who we say they are. Your record is what your record says you are. LSU, Auburn, Kentucky, for sure, tournament teams. Mississippi State, I think, on the bubble. I'll have to look at bracketology. I think Mississippi State has got a got a chance to be in tournament. They definitely got talent. We talked about Reggie Perry. Florida, I think, is going to be in. They've got they're thirteen eight. They're flirting on the bubble. They need some quality wins, but but the Gators have all the talent in the world. We've talked about them preseason. We had them preseason top ten, almost top five. They've just got to find a way to make it work. They're two and four on the road right now. The Gators have talent to make it. Arkansas, they've got all the talent in the world, too. Very surprising how they're they're playing first year with Eric Musselman. Alabama is another team that's got all this talent. I know they're 4-4 four and four in conference, 12-9 overall, but you watch them play. Watch them play, and you're going to tell me that Alabama team is a tournament-quality team. And then Georgia's been disappointing. Uh, they're 12-9, and 2-6 in conference. That's still a team that's got enough talent. If they made a run here, you know, say they get hot here late, they win, say they win eight of their next 10, that would put them 20-11. Uh, and 20-11, we see all the time, gets in the NCAA tournament. Ole Miss, we thought that they would be a lot better this year. They have one of the better players in the conference, one of the better players in the nation in Bree and Tyree. They're 1-7 in the conference. It's been a real struggle this year. But the SEC, though, for people who don't think that that, team, or that conference has got talent, man, th- there's a lot of good teams in there with potential. They're just not living up to it. Florida being the biggest case right now. Looking at some of the other conferences real quick, Oregon now is a half game up in the Pac-12 over Colorado and USC. Col- or USC, we knew they'd be pretty good, but to me, they've been very surprising. Six and three in conference, seventeen and five overall. L- USC is going to be solid in the tournament unless they absolutely collapse here. I tell you what, Pac-12, even though they're marginally better this year, I think they're actually better than the ACC, which we'll talk about. But the Pac-12, we made fun of them all last year and all that good stuff. But Arizona has been kind of disappointing. They're 15 and six overall, five and three. They've been so up and down because I know they've got a lot of young kids. You know, Zeke Naji and Nico Mannion and Josh Green and et cetera and et cetera. They've been so up and down, but they've got all the talent in the world. They're still only a game back in the conference. So they've got all the chances to win the conference. But you look at a team like Washington, who's dead last in conference play, two and eight in conference, 12 and 11 overall. Quaddy Green suspended for the, for the semester now. Um, you know, Isaiah Stewart's been phenomenal all year. 
Jaden McDaniel's been up and down. It's going to be a shame if this Washington team, who came in and just right outside the top 10 in our preseason poll, doesn't even make the tournament and finishes dead last in the Pac-12. That'll be a real shame, to be honest with you. Um, Stanford's been very surprising in the Pac-12 as well. You got to give credit to Stanford. I know their uh, RPI and stuff's not the greatest right now, but you're very impressed with Stanford, a team that not a lot was expected out of them. So good on the Stanford Cardinal there. The Big Ten, we've talked about it. As of last week, Lenardi had 12 teams from the Big Ten in the NCAA tournament. 12 teams. Michigan State, Illinois tied atop the conference eight and three. Maryland's a half game back at seven and three. Rutgers, Iowa, seven and four game back. Penn State, six and four game and a half back. Wisconsin, six and five, two games back. Indiana, Purdue, Minnesota, all five and six, three games back. Ohio State, Michigan, four and six, three and a half back. Nebraska, two and nine. Northwestern, one and ten. You look at some of those names, though. Indiana, Purdue, five and six, but they're three games back. Ohio State and Michigan. These are two teams that were inside the top five in December. In the top five in America in December, they're four and six in conference play. That's crazy, but the Big Ten just beats each other up. The longest win streak right now in the conference is four games, if that tells you anything. Maryland and Penn State have both won four games in a row. Absolutely. And the, the two teams atop the conference, by the way, they're tied. Michigan State and Illinois have both lost their most recent game on Saturday. <laughs> it's crazy. That Big Ten just beating the hell out of each other. You go to the Big East, Seton Hall 8-1. and one. They just took their first conference loss. We talked about it. You know, good on uh, Xavier going in there. Must-needed win for the Musketeers. Um, they're a game up on Villanova, who's 7-2. and two. Creighton 6-3, and three, been very good at you know, two games back, Marquette six and four, two and a half. Butler, Providence, five and four, three games back. You got Xavier and Georgetown three and six. St. John's two and eight. And DePaul after that incredible non-conference slate. They're now one and eight in conference, seven games back, 13-9 overall. Probably have played themselves out of the NCAA tournament when it really looked like. I mean, they you think about DePaul, they've got wins over some in like tournament teams right now. That's absolute nuts that they've played themselves out in the Big East. Big 12, Baylor obviously on top of the conference at 9-0. and Kansas the second, 8-1, and their only loss being to Baylor. West Virginia, 5-3, and 3.5 three and back, and a bunch of other teams kind of mixed in. I said Kansas State's actually the worst team. I meant Oklahoma State. They're 0-8 in conference, 10-11 and 11 overall. Uh, Oklahoma State member prior to conference play was actually playing really, really good basketball. Um, they've, you know, they're struggling Baylor in perspective. You talked about the big 10, the longest win streak was four. Baylor's now won 19 games in a row. They lost their second game of the year, or maybe it was the opening game of the year to Washington. Keep that in perspective too. Lost to Washington is their only loss. They've won 19 in a row since then. Kansas has won seven in a row. So it shows just, again, the Big Ten just beat each other up, but I think that's why they're the best conference. The ACC has been the most disappointing conference. I've never seen the ACC this bad. We talked about it. ACC's got three solid teams in the NCAA tournament. Only three. Louisville, Florida State, Duke. Then you have like three or four teams who are bubble teams. 
But if the tournament started right now, I'll tell in the next segment we'll talk bracketology, go a little bit more in depth. If the tournament started now, I see Louisville, Florida State, Duke being it. And then you have Virginia on the bubble. Um, I'm not even gonna say Syracuse on the bubble. They're 13 and nine overall, even though they're fourth and or fifth in conference. I mean, Virginia's a bubble team. I think maybe Pitt's a bubble team. Then who? <laughs> I mean, the ACC's terrible. North Carolina at three and eight. We know their struggles. They're zero and two since Cole Anthony comes back. They just lost last night. They played really well against Florida State on the road. Tried to make a comeback, but couldn't get it done. North Carolina is ten and twelve overall. When was the last time we've seen that? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Um, I think we had to go back to two thousand like two or something. Just North Carolina at this point is playing for the ACC tournament. It's their only hope of getting in. If North Carolina can win the ACC tournament and sneak in the NCAA tournament, I will I will eat my socks. I mean, it's just crazy, you know. Absolute crazy, but they've got a huge... I know they just lost Florida State, but they've got a big one Saturday. It's the first installment this year of the rivalry against Duke. They win that. That could turn their tides around instantly. Instantly. We're going to talk more about bracketology, who's in, who's out, North Carolina Duke, standings. We've got a whole host of other stuff to talk about. You're listening to episode 54 of everything college basketball. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to episode 54 of the Everything College Basketball Podcast. We ended the last segment talking about North Carolina and ACC and just how bad the conference has been this year. And I told you, I only see three solid teams in the tournament as we sit here on February 4th. I said I've seen maybe two others as bubble teams, but even if all five teams make it, that's when the lowest amount of teams or the least amount of teams the ACC's produced in the NCAA tournament in a long, long time. Um, the conference just isn't good. It's just not good. Um, I said we'd also talk about bracketology and stuff. We are going to get in that, but I think it's important that we talk a little bit about the net ratings. If you guys remember... The last two or three years, the NCAA has basically replaced the BPI, what used to be the measurement, along with the RPI, and come up with their own formula that incorporates all of that, incorporates quad one wins, quad two wins, the losses, who you beat at home, who you beat on the road, who you beat on a neutral site, who you lose to those, etc., and came up with their own formula called the net rankings. The net rankings are supposed to be the big deal when it comes to the determination of who's good, seeding purposes, all that, because it's supposed to encapsulate all of that. The new net rankings came out yesterday. No surprise, or maybe there is a surprise, I should say, but the number one team in the net rankings, San Diego State. They've been number one for a while. Now, actually, the top, it looks like the top 15 teams haven't changed. But for our purposes, number one in the net ranking, San Diego State. Three and oh, you know, obviously they're undefeated, so they're uh, you know unbeaten on the road at home and neutral sites. Um, 
But if you go a little deeper, it'll tell you, you know, the teams that they've beaten, why that they should be number one, all that. Baylor's number two in the net rankings. Gonzaga, Kansas, Dayton, Duke, Louisville. Arizona's eighth in the net rankings. Now, keep in mind, in the actual polls that just came out, they're in the 20s. They're, I think, what I say, they're like 23rd, 22nd, 23rd. But in the net rankings, they're eighth. Now, that tells you they're sitting at 15 and 6, and they're third, I said, fourth in the conference in the Pac-12 at 5 and 3. But they're eighth in net rankings. This is a huge deal. If Arizona can just, you know, say they keep at the same pace, they end the season with nine losses, but they stay in the top 10 in the net rankings, come Selection Sunday, don't be surprised if you see Arizona at somewhere like a sixth seed because of how they play and then these net rankings. They're two and four on the road, three and one neutral sites, 10 and one at home. But they're eighth because, like I said, the RPI, the BPI, who they play, quad one, quad two wins, their losses aren't terrible losses, all that. They're eighth. To put that in perspective, ninth is West Virginia, 10th Michigan State, 11 Maryland. Florida State, who's number, what, four or five? What are they? I just lost track. Number five in America is 15th in the net rankings. Seton Hall, 16. Colorado, 17. Auburn, 18. Oregon, 19. Ohio State, 14-7. and seven, Ohio State, who has struggled mightily since December, since beating Kentucky, basically, is 20th in the net rankings. Ahead of Penn State, ahead of Iowa, LSU, you know, all these teams. Ahead of Illinois, the conference leader in the Big Ten is 30th. But Ohio State's played a pretty tough schedule. The Big Ten, obviously the best conference in basketball. Ohio State played some good people in the non-conference. That's why. That's why it pays to play a tough non-conference schedule. That's why it pays to have a tough schedule. Because even if you lose, as long as you don't lose most of them like North Carolina is, as long as you don't lose a majority of them, even if you lose, it's actually good in the long run. But the new net rankings came out. Um, Kentucky is... Is this the most updated one, actually? Yeah, Kentucky is like... 30th, 40th. I mean, it's not good, right? It, it's not good right now. Um, you definitely do not want to. You definitely don't want to be sub 30 if you're a team like Kentucky trying to build your resume for a quality, quality seed. So the net rankings are out. Always interesting. Let's move on to a couple other things. Let's go back and revisit the North Carolina issue. Like I said, Cole Anthony comes back, you know, going to give them that, that jolt of life that they need, the superstar. He goes for 26 points in 26 minutes and is returning against Pittsburgh. They find a way to lose. Last night, Florida State, he plays okay against a very, very good Florida State team at that. On the road, they lost by six. They fought to the end. They played their, they played hard. They just go in stretches of, Six minutes here, sometimes 10 minutes, where they don't score the basketball and they don't defend it that well. If North Carolina don't score the basketball, 
they can't score. I mean, they, they can't win, should I say. Because they're not going to be Virginia. They're not, that's not in their DNA. Roy's teams always play good defense, but they're not going to rely on their defense, especially in the half court, to win them ball games. They might for a possession or two, but not for a course of 40 minutes. That's just not how they're built. They're built, North Carolina DNA, especially under Roy Williams, is to have athletes, to run in transition, make or miss with the team that they're playing, makes or misses a shot, is to get it out of the net as fast as they can if they make it, get down the floor and score as fast as you can while the other team's jogging back. And especially if the other team misses a shot, you're wanting to put the ball up in two passes and hit either a three, a layup, or a dunk. North Carolina ha- inability to do that right now. They're going these long stretches without scoring, and it's murdering them. And that's why they're sitting here at 10 and 12. Even with the Cole Anthony injuries and even with injuries throughout the year, they're sitting at 10 and 12 because they can't score the ball. And that's something that with North Carolina we thought we would never say. But North Carolina's got a chance to at least salvage something of their year. They get obviously the two games against Duke, the first one being this upcoming Saturday night. They get to play Duke. Um, I got to remember if it's in Chapel Hill or not. I'm going to take a peek here. Um, da, 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 da. Live on air right here, guys. I can, oh, it's in Chapel Hill. So Saturday night in Chapel Hill, they get to the number seven ranked Duke Blue Devils, their biggest rival, coming into town. If ever they were going to make one final push to make the NCAA tournament and salvage a season, it's going to be Saturday night. I don't have a prediction yet. I'm going to have to really settle on this thing. But Duke's talented. Obviously, Trey Jones and company. Um, you know, Vernon Carey Jr., Matthew Hurt, uh, Cassius Stanley, etc., etc., etc. for the Duke Blue Devils. Wendell Moore. They're going to be deeper. They're going to be the better team than North Carolina. But when rivalry games come around, we've said this, you guys all know this, you throw the record out the window. Especially a team who desperately with their back against the wall needs a win, playing at home against their biggest rival, national television, going to be the game of the day. North Carolina desperately needs a win. I do think that North Carolina plays better. I, it's easy if I sit here and tell you Cole Anthony needs a big night. He needs a big night if North Carolina wants any chance, and I definitely think that's true. North Carolina needs a big or Cole Anthony needs a monster night. He needs to prove he's a superstar in this game. This is the type of game that you come to North Carolina for, and he's it's not going to be easy because he's going to have Trey Jones hounding him. He's going to have Jordan Goldwire hounding him when Trey's not on him. And at times, he's probably going to see a matchup of a bigger guy like Cassia Stanley or Wendell Moore checking out on him. Cole's going to need a monster night. North Carolina is going to have to find some ways to get easy buckets. They're going to have to get some steals, live ball turnovers from Duke, convert them into transition threes and layups and dunks. They're going to have to find a way to manufacture points. They absolutely cannot go long stretches of time, especially against Duke, without scoring. Because Duke's playing extreme. They're back to kind of the old-style Duke defense in the half court where they make life miserable even just inbounding the ball, especially trying to get a post-touch or you know a ball reversal. They're making life miserable for a lot of teams. North Carolina cannot afford to go long stretches of time without scoring the ball. So, yes, Cole Anthony needs a big night. 
I think North Carolina needs a big night from the front court. It's not going to be easy going against Vernon Carey, but the one thing is, if you can get Vernon Carey in foul trouble, get him too early, make him sit most first half, then in the second half, attack, attack, attack him, they're not the most deep after him. Matthew Hurts more of the pick-and-pop stretch guy. He's not been shooting the ball as consistently. If they can attack Vernon Carey and get him in foul trouble and keep him off the glass, North Carolina's got a chance. I'll have later in the week, I'll have my official prediction, the score and everything, how I think it plays out. But North Carolina is in a must-win situation on Saturday. They lose that, I just I think it's over. I, I do. But if they win, I think you'll start to see a little spark. I think they can go on a run, and then we'll see what happens come the ACC tournament time. Because that at this point, their only chance. That's it. But I bet it'd be a good chance to get a huge win, though. I will say that. Huge win for the for the net rankings, for your resume, and all that. But we'll see what happens. Let's go to bracketology. We've kind of teased it. Let's go ahead and go to it. Um, this one, it was just updated this morning, actually, by Joey Brackets, Mr. Joe Lenardi from ESPN. And then there's other brackets out there. Jerry Palm does one for CBS. There's all sorts of – any website does them now. Eventually, I would love to get into it and have a team here at ECB doing it, but it's just so much work. So I trust Lenardi uh, more than I do Palm and all them, at least for the teams who get in. He does not always write about where they go or seeding, but he's normally always right um, of who gets in. So, But Lenardi just this morning updated the newest bracket. The one seeds remain the same. Baylor, the overall number one in the South. Kansas, the one in the Midwest, which by by the way, Midwest is region this year is through Indianapolis. I know Cook and some of them Jayhawk fans would love that. Uh, Gonzaga, the one in the East, which would be in New York, and then San Diego State, one in the West. It's the first time in a while we've had two teams from the from the West Coast being in Gonzaga and San Diego State, one lines. So that, that's kind of nice, but. That'd be two from the Big 12 and then two from the out there in the West as our one seeds. No teams from the East. Tell me the last time that happened. Your two seeds. Dayton would be the two in Baylor's region. Louisville would be the two in Kansas's region. Oh, my God. Duke would be the two in Gonzaga's region. West Virginia would just move up to the two line in the West. Looking at some of these, though, potential, like just – Again, hypothetically, if this was really the bracket, man, how crazy this would be. Um, if you're Baylor, if you're a Baylor fan, you would enjoy that draw because you're the one, your 8-9 matchup would be either Wisconsin or USC. You know, Wisconsin, USC both good defensively. USC is a tad bit more athletic. Wisconsin, I think, shoots a little bit more. Either way, not a challenge to Baylor. Um, the 5-12 matchup would be fun because it has Butler's falling all the way to the five line playing 12 Furman. Furman from the SoCon. I think Furman would give Baylor or Butler all they wanted. That 4-13 matchup would be LSU Winthrop. 6-11 would be Penn State Florida. I think that's a terrible matchup for Penn State. Florida, again, we know they've struggled, but all that talent is an 11 seed. I think Penn State would hate that. The three seed in that that region is Seton Hall. Good to see them getting some respect, even though they dropped a seed. They were up to the two line, but because they lose at home, their first conference loss to Xavier, it moves them to the three line, which I think is a little absurd. 
<clears throat> the seven seed, how about this? The Big Ten co-leaders right now, Illinois as a seven seed. Wow. They'd play 10 Stanford and then obviously Dayton as a two. I think if you're Baylor, you'd love that. Your only potential hiccups that you'd really hate would be an LSU Sweet 16 and potentially potentially either Florida Seton Hall or Illinois in the in the lead eight. I guess Dayton, but I just Obi Toppin's really good. But I I think Dayton's ceiling right now is Sweet 16. I think there's certain matchups that would really they would hate. <clears throat> Excuse me. And no, that's I'm not hating on Dayton. I'm happy for them, but I'm just being realistic. I talked about that Midwest region would be nasty. Kansas as the one. <laughs> if you're Kansas, you would hate this. I know you want to be a number one, but you absolutely hate this, and here's why. Kansas would be the one in this region, the Midwest, going through Indianapolis. Your 8-9 matchup, you're either playing Wichita State or Arkansas. Kansas doesn't want to see either one of those teams for obvious reasons. Wichita State, because they're playing with a chip on their shoulder, trying to, you know, Kansas is the big brother in Kansas, the mainstay, Wichita State, the last time they played in tournament, was able to knock them off because they rallied around this idea that we're the underdogs. You'd hate to see it. Arkansas, you'd hate to see too because how deep they are and they shoot the three. Teams who have guards or, you know, guys who can pull Azabuki, McCormick, D'Souza away from the rim and shoot, give Kansas fits. They give them fits, and I think either one of those is a bad matchup. Um, I, I still think Kansas wins. I'm just giving a theory here. So you 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 would have to go through either Wichita State or Arkansas. Then in the Sweet 16, you could see either Iowa or Auburn. Now, Auburn's not the three-point shooting team that they were last year that knocked off Kansas and steamrolled them. But it's still a bad matchup at times. Uh, I like Kansas because of their front court in that one. But Iowa's the one that would really be interesting. If Kansas and Iowa, first of all, you have former Iowa guard in the grad transfer, Isaiah Moss, now playing for Kansas. So you have storylines there. But Iowa shoots the three pretty well, and they have Luke Garza that could really, him against Azabuki would be absolutely insane. And I think Garza wins the matchup simply because he's at seven foot and he pulls Azabuki away and shoots the three ball extremely well. That would be crazy. Then on the bottom side of that bracket, you have Arizona as your six seed, Michigan State as a three, Indiana as a 10, and Louisville as a two. So let's say Kansas makes it to the final four out of that. Out of that, They're either playing Wichita State, Arkansas in the second round. Sweet 16, they could either see, or either see more than likely a five-seed Iowa or a four-seed Auburn. And then in the Elite Eight, you would either you could see six seed Arizona, three seed Michigan State, ten seed Indiana, or two seed Louisville, Kansas. Better pray that they end up winning that Big Twelve and get a higher seed than Baylor because that is brutal, brutal. Arizona is your six. We know the talent that they have. Michigan State is a three. The preseason number one team in all of America as a three seed. Louisville, one of the best teams in America right now. You have at least three teams in that. If that was, you know, held up, at least three teams in Kansas, Louisville, Michigan State as your top three seeds that we had not only in the top five, 
They actually come think they were our top three teams in preseason poll when we did it for ECB. That's right. We had Michigan State one, Kansas two, Louisville three, and now they're all three three or the top three seeds in the Midwest. If that held up, how brutal is that? Um, Kentucky's fell to a five seed. I think I think their ceiling. If we could, I say we as a Kentucky fan, if we could win out, I think we could get it all up to three. I think two's out of the question now. I mean, anything with this season could happen, but. Kentucky's ceiling, I think, is a three seed. They fell to a five out in the east. Um, <clears throat> if you're Gonzaga, like I said, Gonzaga's road to hoe. Oh, man, what a region this would be, too. Gonzaga's the one out here in the east. Duke's the two. Maryland's the three. Villanova, the four. Kentucky, the five. Texas Tech's a nine. Woo! How about these? some of these potential matchups? Gonzaga, Texas Tech, in the round of 32. Kentucky Villanova in the round of 32. Ooh, Sweet 16 potentially in Madison Square Garden. Duke versus Maryland. Kentucky versus Gonzaga. Ooh, ooh, crazy. And then out in the West might be the easiest one. And I say that with all due respect. Um, San Diego State's your one. West Virginia, two. Florida State, three. Oregon, four. You know, Purdue is in a play-in at 11 against Memphis as a play-in and as 11. Colorado's your six. But of all of them, that would probably be the easiest right now. That'd be the most defensive-minded, too, with teams like San Diego State, West Virginia, Florida State, Purdue, Michigan. That'd be a crazy one. You look at the conference breakdowns, though, of it. Big Ten has 11 teams in right now. For all the talk of how bad the SEC is or whatever, they got six teams projected in the tournament right now. The Pac-12, Big 12, and Big East all five. American four. The West Coast Conference. Three teams. Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and I'm trying to find who the other team is. Uh, Gonzaga, St. Mary's. Who's the other team from the West Coast Conference? Oh, BYU. No, wait, they're out there with uh, San Diego State. Who's the other team from the West Coast Conference that they got out here? Huh. Is it New Mexico State? I thought, I'll have to do some digging. Anyways, three teams from the West Coast Conference, a team that, or a conference that's normally one bid league, sometimes two, depending on St. Mary's, how they play. Atlantic 10 3, but here's what I'm talking about. The ACC only has three teams. They've dropped North Carolina State, who was on the bubble. So those three teams I talked about, Louisville, Duke, Florida State, the only teams three. When's the last time you've seen the ACC three teams from the ACC make the tournament? That's it. The last four in, according to Lenardi right now, would be Mississippi State, Purdue, VCU, Memphis. God, Memphis struggling. Man, they had all the talent in the world. Um, Mississippi State got a chance tonight. They beat Kentucky. They're firmly in. As we say, the first four out, Virginia, Minnesota, East of Tennessee State, Xavier. And then no other um, no other ACC school around. So Virginia, as of right now, is the only hope for the ACC to get four teams. And that's it. ACC so bad. How'd that happen? I don't know. We'll start to wrap things up, though. Um, Bractology, again, to me, is always fun. But let's go into shout-outs. Got some shout-outs we got to get to. Um, the first one, I'm going to the women's game. We talk about them from time to time. We love the women's game. Pure just 
if you want to see basketball done right with fundamentals, watch the women's game. They all stay four years. They have to. Love the women's game. But let's shout out. Oregon was the number one team coming in the preseason. They've dropped a game, but they had a monster game the other night in Gamble Pavilion against the Connecticut Huskies. They go in. It was three versus four. They go into Gamble and knock off UConn, 74-56. The 18-point loss is UConn's first double-digit loss at home since January 10th, 1999, when Tennessee came in and beat them by 11. 21 years since UConn has lost by double digits at home. That shows the dominance that UConn's had. And it's weird seeing them get beat like this. This is their second loss already this year. It's their largest loss at home in Gamble Pavilion history. All five Ducks starters scored in double figures. Hebbard led them with 22. But here's the here's the real shout-out. Their best player, arguably the best player in college basketball in the women's side, maybe even the men and women's. I forget how to say her name. Forgive me. Ionosku? I, 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 Ionosku? She goes 10 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists, but the girl is getting ready to be the first player in either men or women's college basketball history to have over 1,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 1,000 assists. Let that settle in for a second. 1,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 1,000 assists for a career. She absolutely gets it done. Oregon, shout out to them. Shout out to her, um, Ion Skew. Oregon's the real deal. And we talked about the men's. I made the statement. We talked about the men's, how wide open it's going to be. The women's, for the first time in a little while, it's going to be wide open, too. You have Oregon. You have Stanford. You have UConn. Louisville. My Lady Cats. Kentucky's really good. Texas A&M. You have so many quality teams in the women's side of college basketball that now it's more wide open. Other than you go in the season, like, oh, well, it's either going to be UConn or Notre Dame or maybe South Carolina slides in because South Carolina's number one right now. You have maybe 10, 12 teams right now who can really win it. IU's really good in women's. They just beat up Purdue. So good stuff there. Um, give a little love. I'm going to do a couple of quick shout-outs to the stat leaders in college basketball men's side. Shout-out to Marcus Howard leading uh, NCAA and scoring 27.9. No surprise there. Shout-out to Kevin Marfo, leading rebounder in college basketball right now from Quinnipiac. 13.6 rebounds a game. Javon Levy from um, UT Rio Grande Valley and Xavier Simpson from Michigan's tied for the assist leader in college basketball, 8.4 assists a game. I can't even pronounce this. I need Cook here to pronounce this from Florida International. Osa Umwin Osage. I don't know how to say that. Um, 4.1 blocks a game from Florida International. 4.1 blocks. Doug Azabuki has done this every year he's been at Kansas. Basically, he's leading the nation in field goal percentage at 76%. All of his stuff comes around the rim. Um, And then leading the nation in steals at 3.9 steals, which is ridiculous, from Merrimack, um, Javaris Hayes. Shout out to all them. Um, Here's my bank on it for this week. Bank on it. Hold on, I got to think about this. How, how do I word this? Bank on it. 
three teams in the top ten lose this week. I know it's a real stretch with all this craziness college basketball this year. Three teams in the top ten. I'm not going to tell you who. I'm not going to tell you where. I'm not going to tell you when. Three teams this week lose in the top ten in college basketball. There's my bank on it. As we start to wrap up this show, um, like I said, we, I missed last week. I apologize, but we're back. Obviously, you guys heard my Kobe tribute. His legacy is going to continue to live on. Um, the Mamba mentality. Um, a lot, we've seen a lot of great things come out of it. You know, the tragedy is terrible. We've seen a lot of good that's came out of it. I know LeBron's wearing number two in the All-Star game that coming up for um, Gigi, which is great. Um, a lot of good stuff comes out of a, a tragedy. You love to see that, at least that side of it. Um, so, yeah, Kobe obviously left a, a crazy mark on the game of basketball that'll that'll never be forgotten. So we thank you for that. And with that said, um, start to wrap this thing up. You know, we're starting to really get into the peak of college basketball here. We're deep in the deep in the heart of conference play. We're only we're in February. We're a month away basically now from Selection Sunday. I think we're five weeks away from Selection Sunday. The season's come and gone in a blink of an eye. This has been the most wild season I can remember in it maybe even my lifetime. Just with all the upsets and everything. We have legit probably 25, 30 teams who could win the NCAA title. I know it sounds crazy. But tell me I'm wrong. And I hope you guys are enjoying it. Like I said, we are about five weeks away from a selection Sunday. Strap in tight. Hope you guys are listening and keep enjoying the stuff. Hopefully I'm finding my groove a little better being a solo show. I will start to get people on here now. Uh, my schedule hopefully will start lightening up a little bit and I can get more guests back on so you don't always hear me. But with that said, I appreciate your guys' support. Continue to play the games. We've got a tight race in our weekly pickums. I just dropped the points. Um, keep telling people about it. I know I haven't said that in a while. We we need to continue to grow. Continue to grow this podcast as outreach. Continue to grow everything within this group. So I appreciate all the support and love. You guys enjoy this week of college basketball, and I'll catch you for episode 55 next week. Until then, thank you for listening. I'm Josh Burton, and I am Ouch. Boom!